0: All right, let's get started with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I do thank you for another day, another day to be alive, to worship you and praise you. Lord, I ask that you'd make our prayer to be fresh and new. Even when we say the same words, may they be meaningful. May they connect to you. May they unveil the relationship that we have with you. Lord Jesus, We desire to have a a nearness in our sense of encountering you, that you draw close to us, that you are present with us in the day-to-day activities that we undertake. Give us that confidence, Lord, that you um, walk with us, you prompt us through the gift of your Spirit, and that you lovingly care for us. Lord, help us to know that, to believe that, to experience that. And Lord, I repent and we repent of any ways that we fall short or settle for less. Any ways that we hold back in knowing you and loving you and serving you. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yesterday in the program, I was building off of a homily I heard by Father Jeff Lewis on Sunday at St. Mary Parish in Spokane Valley. He was referring to this mysterious figure of the young man that shows up in three different moments in the Gospel of Mark and that some ancient Catholic writers identify as the same guy, the rich young man who goes away sad when he is called by the Lord to be perfect. If you long to be perfect, sell all your riches, all your possessions, give them to the poor, and come and follow me. And the rich young man goes away said, even though Jesus looked upon him with love. And Father Lewis was identifying that in relationship to the first stage of the spiritual life, which is called the purgative way or the purgative stage. It's a, it's a way, it's a journey, it's a path we walk that purges us of what? Of the attachments that we have to the things of this world. These things are created by God, and so there's a goodness there. There's a goodness to be found in these things, and there's a way that these things can even lead us to God. They are that when we are not attached to them, when we don't make them our final goal, uh, the final good that we have, but when they can be drawn into our relationship with the Lord, then all of these goods become ways for us to express our relationship with the Lord, our stewardship as disciples, as followers of Jesus. And the goods that we are principally talking about here our um, time, talent, and treasure. And so yesterday I had a chance to dig into that, that when we get launched in the spiritual life, we rarely get beyond this first stage where we are called upon to surrender and abandon our entire selves, all that we are and have, Oh, all of our time, all of our treasure, our wealth, and all of our talents, all of our gifts and energies, um, all the things that we're good at and that we develop, are, and that includes like relationships and family and connections and opportunities that are in front of us, all these talents, these these uh, tools, these capabilities, these assets that we have, place them into God's hands and watch what He will do, rather than Using our time and our talents and our treasure for our own purposes, or really strictly for purposes that are of this world alone, we're called to a more noble purpose, a higher pursuit, something that endures, a treasure that sets in heaven. But for many of us, this is where the initial challenge begins. We just don't want to die to self. Oh, there's that phrase, die to self. Jesus said, if anyone would be my disciple, you must, what, pick up your cross, you must abandon, surrender, give your very life over to the Lord, die to yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me every day. And it's renouncing, renouncing any and all possession over, over what? Well, over our time, over our talent, over our treasure, and underneath all of that, over our own lives, that it's all a gift. It's all a gift, my brothers and sisters. It's all a gift. All that we are, all that we have, who we are, and the time that we have here on earth—it's a gift. And Lord, please help us to live in that awareness. Help us to have that consciousness, so that when we wake up and we go outside and we uh, enter into our day, we can appreciate the fact that we have the gift of another day, the gift of looking upon this beautiful universe that God has created. Its creation. And it gives us a glimpse of the Creator. And that the good things that are part of our lives, lavished upon us, are meant to be signs of His providential care, the way that God the Father provides for us, protects us, and leads us. And that His Son is the Good Shepherd, who is the way and the truth and the life for us. And He's lavished the gift of His Spirit, the promised one, the one promised from the Father, to help lead us into all truth to convict us of sin, to cleanse us of unrighteousness, and to lead us into a deeper intimacy with God by elevating us into the reality that we are children of God. There's our identity. That's it right there. And as Catholic Christian disciples of Jesus, we've been given the fullness, the fullness of this life, and boy, to to appreciate that. Well, how do we get there? Well, how are we going to get to this idea of renouncing our own lives? in terms of ownership and recognizing a stewardship? Well, it means, well, first of all, crying out to God for help, because on our own strength, we won't do it. And so that's where I ended yesterday. The purgative way is crying out to God for help to purify the desires that live in us, because we are people who have these uh, desires that go in different directions, the desires that Are in accord with the things that I just shared, right? Lord, just please, I want to live my life for you. And the desires that are in us that say, Lord, I just want to live my life for me. I want to be comfortable. I want to experience uh, the pleasant things of this world. I don't want to face conflict and difficulties. I don't want to face persecution and, and, uh, and uh, disagreements, and I don't want to be attacked or have to go on the offense. Uh, do, can't I just live an enjoyable life on my own, in my own little world? And the answer is not today, not any longer. Even if we could at some point have lived like that, we cannot do so today. And so in this moment, it is, uh, as I'm moving in today's program, um, I, I've been very struck by the Office of Readings, uh, and so the Office of Readings is that first section or segment of the Liturgy of the Hours, the divine office, and it is something that um, when you read it, it will read a, a, a section of scripture, some psalms, a section of scripture, and then um, some uh writing of a saint, a father of the church, a document of the church, those sorts of things. And recently, the, um, docu- the, that writing was from St. Augustine, and it was from his um, letter to Proba, P-R-O-B-A. And so uh, it's been slowly but surely sort of walking us through this particular writing of St. Augustine. And in it, he talks very beautifully and powerfully about this concept of desire. and um, in this letter to Proba, and he talks about this desire we have to ask for good things from God. And listen to the language of desire here. He said, why should we why sh- why he, the Lord, should ask us to pray, when he knows what we need before we ask him, may perplex us if we do not realize that our Lord and God, does not want to know what we want, for he cannot fail to know it, but wants us rather to exercise our desire through our prayers, so that he may be able to receive, that we may be able to receive what he is preparing to give us. His gift is very great indeed, but our capacity is too small and limited to receive it. That is why we are told, Enlarge your desires. Do not bear the yoke with unbelievers. The deeper our faith, the stronger our hope, the greater our desire, the larger will be our capacity to receive that gift, which is very great indeed. And so, in this faith, hope, and love, we pray always with unwearied desire. So, it goes on there, um, and And Augustine here, remember, you've heard me share this about Augustine, the concept of desire lays at the foundation of who we are as human beings, who we are as um, recreated human beings uh, through baptism in Christ, as well as as it relates to sin. All of these things can be traced back to this concept of desire. For instance, he says that all sin, all of the breaking of the Ten Commandments, can be traced back to a very simple phrase thou shalt not covet covet and what's covet coveting is this sinful desire to attach own possess something to relate to a created thing or to our own lives in a fallen sinful broken way in some ways all sin is connected to that broken dark use of desire. At the natural created level, desire shows up as the ache in the human heart. He calls it the restless heart. It's that emptiness in the human heart that has that capacity kapax dei, the capacity to receive God, the capacity for God Himself to dwell in us. And so that ache that we experience, that emptiness that we experience when we are baptized, we are what? We are plunged, we're filled to overflowing with the very life of God within us, and we are elevated into the reality of being children of God where that ache becomes filled and becomes a yearning, a longing, a desire for God himself. And so the Holy Spirit within our hearts releases this longing, this yearning for God. Have you known those three kinds of desires? Have you experienced those desires? I'm going to guess you have. I'm going to guess that in your life you've experienced some of the emptiness and the ache that is in your heart regarding life itself. I feel so empty. I feel so alone. I feel lost. I feel confused. Right? There's that, that ache in the heart like, is this all that life is about? I feel like I'm made for more. Did you ever feel those desires? That, like, trace it back down to that deep, deep, deep something that is beckoning in your heart. That's Augustine's insight, okay? And then you take a look at the broken desire of acting out in a way that says, oh, this fruit, forbidden fruit, is something that I desire. And yet, when I eat of the forbidden fruit, it's not worth what it costs. It doesn't bring the fulfillment that was promised. It brings about a greater sense of frustration, a greater experience of emptiness. It leads to a kind of despair. And it brings about a type of bondage where I'm now stuck by the very thing that promised me a sense of flourishing has led me into a place of brokenness i feel horrible i hate myself because i did i did that thought that spoke that acted that way didn't do that do you feel that desire that's augustine saying thou shalt not covet it has many manifestations in your life pay attention and so we are called upon in that world to cry out to the lord For the yearning, that level of desire that is within me, within my heart, the Holy Spirit within me, crying out, Abba, Father, Abba, Daddy, Father, I long for you. It's that Psalm 63, O oh God, you are my God for you. I long for you. My soul is thirsting. My body pines for you like a dry, weary land without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory for your love is better than life. My lips will speak your praise. So I will bless you all my life. Right, that's, that's Sunday week one in uh, morning prayer of the Liturgy of the Hours. It's the most prayed psalm in the four-week Psalter, it is Psalm 63, Sunday week one. It's prayed at all the big feasts. And there's something about that. It's saying, get first things first. You are to yearn for God. And that actually impacts how we intercede, how we petition. What do I mean by that? I'll pick up on this in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm sharing with you about the purgative way, about this purging stage of our spiritual life. There's so much to say about it, but I want to speak about it in a way that links to your own experience of life and of the spiritual life. And so this purgative way, this way of purging, in part happens through the exercise of spiritual desire, the way that St. Augustine was talking about it here in his letter to Proba. And in it, he talks about this, this exercise of desire. Why? Well, it's not because we're revealing something to God that he doesn't know. Like, Lord, just please bless my family. Please bless my spouse, my children, my job, my, my finances. Bless, bless my health. Bless, Lord, Bless my church. Bless this, right? All of those things that we long for and we cry out to God for. It's like we're not revealing to God something he doesn't know. Right, I always like to say that when I'm giving a talk on intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is not our attempt to get God to notice something He hasn't seen, but rather God's attempt to get us involved in bringing about a blessing that He intends to give. Did you hear that? We're not bringing to God something He's not aware of. He's not busy paying attention to other things, and He's not noticing our prayers for so and so, but rather. The exercise of intercessory prayer when we pray for others or petitionary prayer when we pray for ourselves, Augustine is saying it's enlarging the capacity of that reality to be able to receive the blessing he longs to give. So that means that when we pray and we don't see an answer, we shouldn't just conclude God isn't listening or God's answer was no, but rather you're asking the Lord for a venti cup full of blessing but you have a tall cup, an eight ounce cup or a 12 ounce cup. And the Lord is saying, I, I've got, I've got 20 ounces. I've got 24 ounces. I've got 30 ounces. I've got a gallon. I've got gallons. What you're asking for is multiple gallons. You're asking for a five gallon jug of blessing, but your desire is a little teeny Dixie cup, a teeny, teeny little two ounce cup. And you're asking for a five gallon blessing. And so, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to encourage you to walk a path that will stretch and expand that cup so that it goes from 2 ounces to 4 to 8 to 10 to 20 to 60 to 2 gallons to 4 gallons, and it's the exercise of desire. It's, it's what I call spiritual desperation. It's that groaning before God in prayer. It's that crying out to God in prayer it's something that we just don't appreciate and yet it is all over the scriptures so on tuesday morning yesterday morning for me it was this morning when i prayed the office of readings just listen to this prayer this is psalm 102 this is the first of the three this is the fir- this is the psalm that's prayed in the office of readings on t- on tuesday O Lord, listen to my prayer and let my cry for help reach you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Turn your ear towards me and answer me quickly when I call. Do you hear the desire there? Do you hear the yearning, the longing, the, the desperation it continues on, For my days are vanishing like smoke, my bones burn away like fire, my heart is withered like the grass, I forget to eat my bread, I cry out with all my strength, and my skin clings to my bones. Okay, that's that man has become those desires. Like His very being is the embodiment of what he longs to see God to do. And it c- continues on. I become like a pelican in the wilderness, like an owl in desolate places. I lie awake and I moan, and like some lonely bird on a roof, all day long my foes revile me. Those who hate me use my name as a curse. The bread I eat is ashes, my drink is mingled with tears. In your anger, Lord, and your fury, you have lifted me up and thrown me down. My days are passing like a passing shadow, and I wither away like the grass. Now, that's the first Psalm. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Like, really? And you know what? Here's the thing. You pray that prayer, Psalm 102. The priests and religious of this world, deacons, so many make the promise to pray this prayer. But let me just say this. Most of the priests— most of the deacons, most of the religious that are in America praying this prayer are doing so in a warm, comfortable place. It's a comfortable bed they wake up in. They've got food in the kitchen. They're safe. Their environment is nice. It's pleasant. It's soft. And do you know what they're not doing? They're not saying from an existential standpoint, listen to my prayer. Let my cry help reach you. Don't hide your face from me in the day of my distress. My days are vanishing like smoke. My heart is withered like grass. That sense of spiritual solidarity, that sense of this word has become flesh in my life. I don't see it. Now, do you know why I say I don't see it? It's because I would sense it in their homilies. I would sense it in their activity. I would sense it in the way that they stood up, spoke out, and pushed back against the evils of our time. Because our church leaders today do not cry out with this desperation over the devastation happening to their very people, to, their, the, to the people under their care, the people over whom they watch, I know it. I know it because as a father, when my kids are being devastated and destroyed in their life of faith and their health and the relationships, even in the decisions they're making that lead them into sin and bondage, I got to tell you, this is me. My days are are vanishing like smoke my bones burn away like fire my heart is withered like the grass i forget to eat my bread i cry with all my strength and my skin clings to my bones i lie awake and i moan like some lonely bird on a roof the bread i eat is ashes my drink is mingled with tears that's that's the life of a father who is desperate to see god break in and set free and rescue his sons his daughters his spouse, his family, who are being devastated in some form of enemies coming against them, uh, being reviled all day long by their foes. You know, when I have experienced that, yeah, it was traumatizing. It was, it was overwhelming. And I, I guess I want to say that. How can a priest today, how can a bishop today, how can bishops today not be crying out from the rooftops over the devastation happening to their own people who are wandering away from the faith, who are embracing sinful ways of looking at the world, who are supporting sinful ideologies that are just destroying the innocence of kids? who are not speaking out from the rooftops, crying out to rescue God, rescue the people under my care. Please, God, do whatever you need to do in me and through me, but forge me into a sword, a word of God that will speak out prophetically against the evils of our time. Where is that kind of leadership? Where is it? I was pressed in my own fatherly care over my family to take action that would, be, that would be commensurate, that would match the level of severity that was coming against my family from the world. And it is time to wake up. It is time to be told to wake up, fathers, to protect and lead and provide for your families, come what may, for the devastation is already in our midst. It is already in our midst. It's like Aaron when he saw the, um, the devastation falling upon the, sin, the people that had betrayed the Lord. And this, this scourge was moving across the people. And Aaron saw it with Moses. And, and Moses said to Aaron, run out into the midst of the people with the censer. And when he did, he ran right out into the midst of the people. I think it was Korah's rebellion. He ran right out into the midst of them with the censer. And the devastation, the destruction that was landing upon the people stopped. It stopped at the place where Aaron was offering incense. What's incense? It's a sign of worship. It's a sign of, of, um, of um, adoration. It's a sign of intercession. It's coming before God in holiness, in liturgical, that sacrifice. It's the giving over of oneself in the act of worship before God. And that becomes the hedge of defense. This is what I want to see. I want to hear the heart's cry. I want to hear an echo in the heart in, in the voices of my church leaders. I want, to hear, I want to hear the echo of what I sense in my own heart. I shouldn't be caring more about the marriages and the children of friends of mine in the church than I get from the bishops and the priests who are assigned to these roles of spiritual shepherds. It, it. I want to see priests who are willing to go all in. I want to see bishops who are willing to put their lives on the line and not be afraid of being called names in the, in the press, of getting letters, of being pushed back against, of, of, of saying, you know, I'm going to protect my people. I'm going to protect people that are even under my care that are not even Catholic or Christian. I'm not going to let an evil fall upon them. Over my dead body right? Over my dead body, right? Over my crucified body, right? This is, this is what I want to see. This is what, well, this is what I want to see. This is what we need today. Bold, courageous, life-sacrificing, Christ-imitating leadership through the passion, to the cross, through death, to life. This is what we need today. And when I encounter it, In the priests that I'm privileged to know, when I see sacrificially lived priests, priesthoods lived by priests who speak the truth, even in in uncomfortable situations, I applaud. I pray for those priests. I will lift up those priests, um, and I thank God for them. But we need so many more. We need bishops to do that. Stand up, speak out, and push back against evil, and expect to be withstood. Expect that you're not going to be applauded by the world around you. But bishops, we we've got your back. We're with you. You know, uh, t- too long we've run out in front, right? But we need we need we need uh, priests who and, and bishops who will live Psalm 102, right? don't read the Office of Readings. Don't read Psalm 102 to fulfill the duty and check the box. No, become Psalm 102. Don't read the letter to Proba, but let the Word become flesh in you. Let it it become manifest in how you live. Well, today it wasn't just the letter to Proba. It was also reading from the Scripture, which was the book of Esther. And boy, oh boy, in the book of Esther, right? It's like fifth century B.C. It's Xerxes the Persian, and uh, Esther uh, becomes a queen because the other queen stands, you know, uh, 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 dis- disobeys Xerxes or uh, Ahasuerus is, is the uh, is the name given here, uh, but it's Xerxes the first, probably right. So uh, this Persian king and and um, Esther, who is beautiful, is raised by her uncle Mordecai. And um, Mordecai refuses to bow down to the second hand, the second the guy in charge, the guy in second in command to the king, Haman. And Haman doesn't like that, so he convinces the king to put a decree out to put all the Jews to death. Well, here's Esther. She's now in the the favor of the king, um, chosen to be the queen. And, And this decree goes out. Well, now you have uh, Mordecai going about in sackcloth and ashes, publicly repenting and crying out to God for mercy. Well, this just angers Haman all the more. And um, Mordecai gets a message to Esther and says, you've got to intercede with the king. You've got to go before him and stand up for, for the Jewish people, because if not, we're going to just be slaughtered. Here's how he says it. It's from Esther chapter 4. He says, Remember the days of your lowly estate, Esther, when you were brought up in my charge, for Haman, who is second to the king, has asked for our death. Invoke the Lord and speak to the king for us. Save us from death. Well, Esther replied to Mordecai and said, All the servants of the king and the people of his provinces know that any man or woman who goes to the king in the inner court without being summoned suffers the automatic penalty of death unless the king extends to him the golden scepter, thus sparing his life. Now, as for me, I have not been summoned to the king for 30 days. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he had this reply brought to her. Do not imagine that because you are in the king's palace, you alone of all the Jews will escape. Even if now you remain silent, relief and deliverance will come to the Jews from another source. But you and your father's house will perish. Who knows, but that it was for a time like this that you obtained the royal dignity. That's the famous line for such a time as this. And I want you to, like, ponder that, hear that, because— What he's saying is utterly relevant for today. Here's Mordecai who feels deeply, so deeply, the uh, penalty, the, the devastation that is about to fall upon the Jewish people, and he is doing what? He is in deep mourning and fasting and weeping and lamenting. He's in sackcloth and ashes. And where's Esther? Well, we'll get to that in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carn. It's great to be with you today. And in, in this um, reflection on the purgative way, the first of the threefold way the purgative, illuminative, and unitive, um, we're talking about, uh, I'm kind of building off of reflections on the rich young man who went away sad because he didn't want to surrender his riches, he didn't want to surrender his talents, and he didn't want to surrender his time. Um, and ultimately, that meant he didn't want to surrender his life. He enjoyed the life that he had with his riches and the comforts that that brought, the security, the status, the all of the good things that were part of that. And it was like, why would God ask of me to do things that would make me uncomfortable, make me put these things at risk, or to surrender these things? And he went away sad. And Jesus looked at him with love. And this is actually, for me, evocative of what Esther was facing. Here's Esther. Where is she living? She's in the king's palace. She's enjoying it. She's the queen. She's got tremendous power. She's got all this favor. She's, at a human level, very beautiful. Guess what? I bet she's sleeping in a very comfortable place, eating and dining uh, sumptuously, gets tremendous power, lots of comfortable aspects to her life. But you know what? That wasn't the reason for which she was put there. Maybe it was just for such a time as this, that she could use all that God had placed in her hands, the position, the power, the, um, the good things that were all there. She had to be willing to surrender them, to put them at risk, to put them at stake, to abandon them into God's hands and say, you know what? God is going to deliver his people. And he's going to deliver his people through me or through someone else. And that for me, that's the bishops today. Bishops live in comfortable places, they dine sumptuously, <laughs> They uh, and don't have a lot of concerns about rent, uh, or job security, or things like that. But you know what? It's for such a time as this that they were given those roles. It's a stewardship. And they are called upon to stand up and face the kings of this age. To face the kings of this age, even if it means what? putting at risk, through their speaking up, their very position. Now Esther, she was faced with the potential loss of her life, uh, unless the king extended her some some mercy, some favor. And this is where we, it's not just bishops, right? It's anyone with any type of spiritual authority or leadership role, we're going to have to be willing to take a stand. Like I think about all of the These folks who are facing situations that they contact me and they're like, I'm facing the reality of um, going against my conscience regarding getting vaccinated, going against my conscience and losing my job. What do I do? And thanks be to God for those uh, businesses that offer religious exemptions for those people who are facing um, uh, qualms in conscience regarding the uh, taking of the vaccination. And um, and and there are some who are in this situation where they're like, what am I going to do? And this is where it's like the rubber meets the road. This is where, um, where do I find a job? Where do I find a place to work? How do I provide for my family in those circumstances? And all I'm saying is I'm trying to help with that. I am standing up, stepping out, and speaking back and saying, here are some resources for you regarding how to advocate to get a religious exemption, to do it in the right way, to push back against employers who wouldn't allow for it, and then to be able to say, you know what, if you can't be in that place and have a religious exemption, then let's find another place. Let's find a place for you to, to work, maybe a place to live where you won't face those same qualms in conscience, where you will be able to live freely uh, and uh, in faith, live out your faith. And so this is a time for real—this is a time for real leadership. I know for me it um, has become a matter of saying, well, I can't lead everybody, I can't speak for everybody, I can't influence everybody, and don't even say everybody, right? Just like, let's just narrow it all down. The people that I have the the most influence over are right here in my own home. It's my own life, it's my wife, and together, our own children. And then that's where we can have the greatest level of influence. And then we move out from there to the families that we walk with in faith, and we walk with them at our parish, in the wider, uh, in, in our schools, in our wide, uh, in the schools that we attend, and then the wider community of faithful people that we're with, and then the wider community that we live in, and that's where, you know, when I talk about this Elijah moment, Benedict moment, Joseph moment, it's it's because of this need to recognize the the reality of um, Esther, the reality of Mordecai, this. Moment where um, we're going to have to exercise some of that Augustine-like desire right now, and up our game. We're just gonna have to up our game regarding how we're living our lives. And so, um, my hope and prayer is that when you hear a message like this, like let the word of God strike you, let it strike you in a way that maybe dislodges some of the things that were just taken for granted things that we took for granted previously are just not going to be the kind of thing that we can take for granted any longer. And it might mean shifting our very expectations about our own lives, about our families, about the kind of lives that our kids are going to live. Does anybody hearing my voice think that things are getting back to normal and and are becoming more like they used to be? Or are things getting even more weird than they have been. And it just, it just strikes me that, um, the laws and policies that are coming out, some at the national level from the federal government, some at the state level and the state government, uh, some at the local level, uh, these are things that are going to put us into potential conflict, conflict regarding the fundamental way that we are going to live our lives. And so, um, we better get the foundation right. We better get the first things first, right? Where do we live in terms of our deepest sense of identity? And we're all going to give an account one day before the Lord for the life we've been entrusted with, for the gift that we've been given. And so the purgative way is all about dealing with these foundational matters of saying, please, Lord, let me recognize the gift that my life is let me recognize that along with his gift is a call is a mission is a purpose there's a reason why you planted me in this moment in history and not another and you've planted me in this location and not another and whatever the reasons are i know that in the midst of all of the circumstances that you've given to me i can grow in holiness i can be faithful and i will be conformed to the life of your son jesus and that means going through passion, death, and resurrection. That means going through the, good, the crucifixion of Good Friday in order to manifest more fully the life of Easter Sunday. Very concretely, what does that mean? My brothers and sisters, we got to pray. You've got to be praying every day. Take some time. Make some time. Make a commitment. Whatever else you're doing in the course of your day, make the time to pray. That is critical gotta do that. And then secondly, besides that, is the reality of um, crying out to God in that place of desire. Crying out to God and asking Him to be the Mm -hmm. fundamental uh, meaning and, and purpose of my life. Lord, cleanse my perspective, right? Cleanse my perspective that I'll see first things first, I'll get things right, and I'll trust and honor you above all. Not easy to do that. It's not easy to do that. Um, but as we enter that path, we're going to feel as well the call to take on other practices to help. One of the important practices is fasting. Fasting. Fasting is not about eating nothing. It's about eating what is sufficient rather than what's satisfied. It's kind of like keto. Keto. It's kind of like intermittent fasting. It's eating in a way that says I'll get the nutrients I need without experiencing all the pleasantries, all the delicacies, all the enjoyments that can come from eating. Not that those are bad things, but rather I'm going to withstand and withdraw myself from those enjoyments for the sake of stripping away and cleansing my own heart, so that the deeper desires, the desires of my spirit, can become manifest. They can emerge in me. And that's something that is, um, is, is not often talked about today. How often do we talk about fasting? Fasting as, as a type of spiritual training, spiritual exercise, that's going to help cleanse the desires that are part of our lives. And boy, do we need it today, because we are so quick as a people, as a nation, as a Western culture, to hedge towards the comfortable, the soft, the easy, the nice. But this does not form virtue. This does not forge holiness. This does not cleanse and allow the deeper desires to emerge. Back in a minute with more and Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. I do encourage you to go to mycatholicfaith.org. On mycatholicfaith.org, you'll find a link to the podcast of this program, the Dr. Tom Curran Podcast. If you go to Apple Podcasts and you just search for the Dr. Tom Curran podcast, you'll get access to that. You can subscribe to the podcast so that it'll immediately be downloaded to your phone. Or when you click on a podcast, it'll show you the updated version of of the podcast that you have signed up for. Um, You can also get access to free resources, free resources on audio and video, downloadable resources. That will be a great blessing to you. It'll also link you to my YouTube channel, to my Facebook page um, for those times when I'm posting on Facebook and am praying the rosary on Facebook. I'm sad to say I have not done that for a couple of months, and here it is, the month dedicated to the rosary, and I haven't done it. I don't have an excuse. I so wish I could say, oh, I'm just too busy. You know what? That's just an excuse, right? its You're not too busy for the things that are that important to you. You're not like I'm not too busy to take care of my bodily needs, right? Uh, so the things that are that important to me, I'll make I'll make a priority. I will do it, and so um, I am um, I'm committed to becoming committed again. How about that, right? That that's a that's a try statement. Boy, that really bothers me. Um, I'm just going to put it out there and say I'm going to need to ask the Lord. I'm going to ask the Lord to create space in my day to give me that desire and the strength to live the desire to be praying the rosary on Facebook live. And I I say that because I know how much of a blessing it is to others. And I say that's what I want to do with my life is to be a blessing to others. Um, And yet, if that's the case, why am I not choosing to do something that is such a powerful means of being a blessing to others? And that's praying with them on Facebook. Um, So it's that's a, there you go. There's that, that gap that exists between what I say is my ideal for my life and, and what is actually real in my life. And so closing that gap. Closing that gap is was what the spiritual life is all about. It's discerning the idea that God in his the mind of Christ, who we are in his mind, and how we're actually living in closing that gap that I'll become who I am in the mind of Christ. I'll become who I am in the mind of Christ. And so that's, that's the path to sanctity. That's the path to becoming a saint. And that's, I say that's what I want, but I need that desire to become more prominent in me. So that, that, that's an example of the purgative stage. So fast, and ask the Lord for the grace to fast. And fasting is just one form of self-denial. You can deny yourself in so many ways. Everything from things that I've talked about a hundred times. Cold shower. Get up earlier. Uh, don't sleep in a comfortable bed. Um, uh, don't sit in the, in the most comfortable chair. Kneel when you pray. Drink cold coffee. Drink coffee without sugar or cream. Uh, drink tea instead of coffee. Um, uh, don't eat desserts. Uh, You know, uh, choose to go last rather than first. Choose the uh, lesser attractive piece of food than the more attractive piece, right? Um, uh, uh, Seek places of service rather than getting out of acts of service, right? Whether it's in, in your school, in your church, in your family. Do the hard thing rather than the easy thing. Um, keep your mouth closed rather than speaking up. <laughs> you know, you know. should I go on, right? These are all little acts of dying to self. Turn off the TV. Turn in the phone. Get off, delete that app, right? Spend your time on prayer. So all of those, these are all pur- purgative way stuff. All purgative way stuff. All the things that are going to purge attachments to the things of this world regarding time, treasure, and talent, so that our lives become more rooted in the reality that they're, we're all a gift from God and that our lives are a gift and we want to be a gift back to God. Okay, this then leads to the second stage of the spiritual life. And the second stage is the illuminative way. And that which moves us into the second stage, that which has us go from these acts of prayer and, and purging that are connected with the purgative way to detach us, to get into the illuminative way, which is illuminate, right? It's about enlightenment. It's about growing more fully, being formed more fully in our life of faith, is by going through the dark night of the senses. That's what St. John of the Cross calls it, the dark night of the senses. And, and what happens in the dark night of the senses is that instead of being able to recognize or have a sensitivity to God in our five senses, in what we see and hear, touch, taste, and smell, as well as in the deployment of those senses in our own life of faith, all of the um, consolations, all of the the, the sense of spiritual delight that we get by doing spiritual activities— all of those things disappear, and they become dark. The practice of spiritual activities, going to Mass, going to prayer, reading Scripture, are very dry. It doesn't seem to bring any benefit. And that sense of fervor, that sense of desire, it dissolves. It's like dust. And now all of a sudden, here we are, in this dark night of the senses. And so, this, and in the dark night of the senses, we are having a sense of union with God that is experienced not as enlightening, not as enjoyable through the five senses, but rather as a sense of absence. Like, God, where are you? Like, was that real? We begin to doubt and question was this real? God, where are you? And we are being called upon to walk in that kind of faith where there's darkness rather than light. You know, that we walk by faith and not by sight, not by sight. Um, That's that's the dark night, right? Because faith brings light, not darkness. But sometimes the light becomes so bright that it's experienced as darkness. Or the way that the spiritual writers, the great saints that have written about this dark night, talk about it. There's a withdrawing that, that the Lord is, that, again, that altern, alternation, the Lord is withdrawing this, the tangible sense of his presence. Why? Well, now we are being weaned off of the idea that we enjoy God. To the idea that we will serve the Lord, we will honor his way, honor his commandments in our life, even when and even as we don't have any sensible consolation or enjoyment in the service of God. And that dark night of the senses is something that is a purification and a preparation for an even deeper encounter with the Lord, one that is purified, one that is expanded, one that is going to uh, exercise a deeper set of capabilities, capacities, faculties of the human being. So we're going to move more inwardly from the encounter with God that we have through the senses to an encounter with God through the interior faculties. Through our memory, our imagination, through our mind, our intellect, our understanding, our, our will, right? Those interior faculties are now going to be the place where we have encounters with the Lord. And we're going to experience, we're going to have a spiritual union with the Lord that is connected to the exercise of those faculties rather than through the senses, in the purgative way. So rather than seeing the Lord and the beauty of the sky and nature and the things he has created, the beauty of music, the beauty that comes from the good things that are part of this world and our interactions with the world, now, now we're going to go more interiorly and we're going to exercise our spiritual life in a way that is more interior. And so that will mean meditation, That will mean reflection on scripture, on other spiritual readings. That's going to utilize our imagination, imagining the scenes of the scriptures, being in the very place in our own imagination. It's gonna mean calling upon memories of places where we've been or of, of realities that we know. It's going to mean using our mind to exercise our understanding and to reason, to think about those things. And it's through using those powers that the Lord is at work and the Lord will bring light. He will enlighten us. And we will find that we are less drawn to praying words out loud. It's less about the outward words, the discursive prayer that I talked about yesterday speaking those spontaneous prayers or those beautiful traditional prayers that we read or that the Lord taught us. And instead, it's about going into a deeper encounter with the Lord where our very uh, mind and heart is enlightened by the light of God. That's the illuminative way. I'm going to have to pick up on that tomorrow on Sound Insight. I hope that this is a blessing to you. And uh, join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight. God bless your day.